Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 92. As Neil Best, Colin Stevenson, and I, Andrew Gross, on Twitter at A Gross Newsday, discuss, dissect, and otherwise do some other D words to the Islanders' 5 2 loss in game one of their second round series against the Bruins up at TD Garden here in Boston. And we look ahead to Monday's game two in Boston as the Islanders will look to even the series before the series shifts back to Nassau Coliseum for game three, which will be on Thursday night. Game four is Saturday night. And then they go every other day for as long as this series goes. And gentlemen, how is everyone tonight? Did you enjoy the game? I guess I thought it was a pretty entertaining game, but Here's my my brief speech about why Islanders fans should be cons- well. Obviously, they're concerned because they just lost Game One. But 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 here's here's what I was thinking about in the Pittsburgh series. All of, every pregame uh, pre series uh, analysis said the Penguins have a problem in goal. They played Game One. The Penguins were terrible in goal. Turned out that was a big story of the series in the end. Well, every pre-series analysis of this series was the Bruins' top line is really, really good. And the first game, they were really, really good. And this is, and I have a feeling this is going to be a major problem moving forward. Yeah, I I agree with you, Neil. And uh, you you know what I did learn, though, today, Um, being, being a TD Garden, um, you know how we've all been calling Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, David Pasternak, who, by the way, had a, a, a really nice hat trick. I mean, he a couple of long rebounds to the left circle. The, 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 the third goal from the high slot, that was a quality shot, too. Um, so Pasternak with the, uh, with the hat trick to open the series. But what I learned in the TD Garden press box was Bruin fans don't really take kindly to that trio being called the perfection line. They, they feel it's something that non Bostonians came up with that. It's a, you know, a, a a TV thing from outside of Boston And, and they, they slightly resent the perfection line being called the perfection line. So that, that, that sort of surprised me. I, I do agree with you that this is what we were writing about going into the series. Colin, you wrote a lot about it. You, you wrote a lot about it today. Did you see this as in any way deficient defense against that top line or just that, that, that top line being good enough to shake off whatever the Islanders were trying to do? I mean, some of it is circumstance too. Um, yeah, well, it's the first Bruins goal, first Pasternak goal is a power play goal. I think the goalie, in as, as wonderful as he's been in this postseason, I think the goalie may have um, overplayed that shot. I think he came over a little bit too far and didn't uh, – he wasn't uh, – his angle was off a little bit and that left some space on the far side. The second goal, you know, was just a, a big rebound. I'm not sure – how it's possible that David Pasternak can be that wide open. 
I mean, you know, you would think somebody should be in the same area code as this guy. And the third one, I don't think should have counted because I think Taylor Hall should have been flagged for interference on that play because he he literally, I mean, he it, he was like a fullback clearing out a hole for a running back when he tore, you know, he, he blew up Noah Dobson, pushes him out of the way, which allows the lane for the shot to get through and also screens the goalie at the same time. And and I, I you know, hey, listen, it's, it's, a, it's a big goal at that point. It's 3-2 game and that makes it 4-2. I, you know, I don't know what the rule is. I'm pretty sure that, you know, everybody sets picks and it's one of those things that, you know, people do it and you kind of turn a half a blind eye to it. But I thought that was pretty egregious. I thought that should have, that one should have come back and, and the Isles should have had power play on that. But um, to answer the question, um, yeah, I think, I, I think you just, David Pasternak just can't be as open as he was. <laughs> I mean, I, and the third one was a giveaway anyway. I mean, like, uh, you know, they, they, they put it on a stick and then, uh, yeah, that's I, the question. Yes, they, 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 uh, they didn't do the right thing there. I found the Islanders, uh, all the, I found the Islanders spin about the shots on goal totals fascinating because, you know, the, the players and Barry all sort of complained about us focusing on the shots on goals and said they had a lot of cheap shots and ran up their total with some, you know, not dangerous chances. Maybe, maybe there's some truth to that. I don't know. But I watched watching that hockey game. I just got the sense that Boston was dominating and getting tremendous numbers of chances. And I did not think the shots on goal thing was inflated because they had a lot of chances. I, 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 I thought. The Islanders didn't generate enough, and you know, uh, and when they did get some chances, they they sort of missed the net. Uh, Kyle Palmieri had a couple of good looks; he didn't get anything on net. Um, but you know, just just to get back to the power play, it started really well. Anthony Beauvillier gets the the game going. You know, one nothing on a power play, really nice deflection, and Noah Dobson's shot from the blue line, but. The, the second power play was no shots, not, not very good. And then the third power play, after the, the Bruins get called for a, a too many men on the ice, and it's still 2-2 in the third period, the Islanders got two shots on Tuka Rask, but it, it wasn't like dangerous stuff. And I, I really thought that's where the game's momentum turned because uh, Richie, who had been Nick Ritchie, who had been serving the penalty, uh, comes out of the box and is just gets his big body in front of Ilya Sorokin. And that's how Charlie McAvoy winds up scoring what turns out to be the winner to make it three, two, just 18 seconds after the Islanders, uh, you know, uh, third power play. And so I, I thought that was a huge turning point in the game. And then Barry Trotz, who I think his exact words were something about an easy finger on the shot clock, something yeah, like that. Happy finger. Yeah, I mean, happy, happy, thing, happy, happy finger. Yeah. I mean, again, again, maybe that's true. I don't know. But I'm watching the game. It certainly looked like Boston was the better team throughout. I'm sorry. They we, certainly were in the first period, for, for sure. I mean, 18 to 8, that was legit. I mean, because I remember, I mean, I was I looking, I remember thinking, you know, the Islanders are like bunkering in. They're like a, they're like a soccer team that, that just kind of like, you know, packs everybody in and just like hopes for a counterattack or something. They were hanging on for dear life. And, 
I mean, I thought the goalie was good. I didn't think he was as good as, uh, you know, as he was in some of those games against Pittsburgh, but I thought he was good and he kept a minute. Yeah. Well, we'll get to the goalie in a second. Um, you know, we, we have seen at different arenas the off-ice officials scoring things differently. You know, like, for instance, in Pittsburgh, the hits were way up. I mean, they were giving everyone a hit for anything in Pittsburgh, right? So it's it's not outside the realm of possibility that there was a, a happy finger on some of these shots. But I, I agree with both of you, regardless of what the, the, the true totals are. I, I, I disagree with Barry that it was really an even game, you know, in, in the chances, as he was saying, or at least through two periods. I, I, I do think the ice was tilted more towards the Bruins getting more scoring chances. So I, I, I think that is of a, a definite concern going into Monday's game two. That's just playoff, uh, you know, gamesmanship. You know, <laughs> like these guys are trying to sell stuff. <laughs> Well, that's fine, but we're we're allowed to say what we actually saw, and and the fact that the, the fact that the line were no longer allowed to call the perfection line had had no, no, if if had the Boston fans had, okay, well then tell tell the Boston fans to come up with another name then. then. I, I have another name. I have another name okay, for this. what is the name? What the wicked good line? The wicked good line. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like the it. wicked good line. I mean, why wouldn't you? It's a Boston line. And, you know, I thought about it. Is that offensive to Bostonian? And look, my brother lives in Boston. I love Boston. Everyone loves Boston, right? You, you don't have to like the sports teams, but you like the town. That should be the wicked good line. Yeah, but you see, well, but they can't use that because you're an, out, you're an outsider. If the Boston fans hate it when you call it the perfection line, then I think we should call it the perfection line because <laughs> we don't want to piss off the Boston fans. <laughs> I say piss had, off the that line had 19 shots on goal and the Islanders' top line had three, and that is a problem. We, I, I think, Neil, that, that what you said on the last podcast is true, which is that the top line really is the Nelson line. Yeah. It certainly was tonight. I mean, Beauvillier, Beauvillier is playing at a, a, a an extremely high level. Uh, goals in three games, five-game point streak. That's four goals, three assists over five playoff games, which is, you know, really, really good. I, I, I thought Nelson was good. Bailey, Bailey was pretty good, too. He had a couple of turnovers that, that kind of just were – were almost near disturbing, but they but they they turned out to not be as disturbing as, as they could have been. But I, I thought that line was really good. And you know, Barry said he really only had one line really going through the whole game, which was funny because then when when the media circles back and asks him about whether he needs more from the Barzell line. He goes, no, no, I thought that line was good. I was like, yeah, I didn't say good. He said, okay. I think he, I, I, he was trying to be nice. Yeah. Well, that, 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 that line, you know, a goal. what's that? They did produce a goal. The bars line. Yes. They were on the, I think they were on the ice when, uh, I mean, you know, no, you know, for the pellet, for the pellet. Yeah. Yeah, 
they were. That's so, true. I mean, Barzell almost had a chance at the left post there and yes. kind of spun around and, and fell down, you know, or he got knocked down. But that, yes, they were on the ice for that. But still, uh, they, they need to produce more. I, I think we can agree on that. Right. I mean, obviously, the Islanders are built differently than Boston. We're not expecting them to be as dominant as Boston's number one line because it's just different. But they need more from them. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, we, we don't know exactly when Oliver Wallstrom might be available to the crew again. I, I think Barry will get that guy back in as soon as he's healthy. Colin? for me to imagine him coming back anytime, especially soon, given, given how bad that looked on the replay. Yeah, but with, with, a, with a dearth of injury information coming out of the team's you know, you don't know for sure, right? All we can go by is the fact that he's being listed as day-to-day. Although, if you follow the progression, he was a game-time decision for game six against the uh, the Penguins and then went to doubtful for game one against the Bruins. So that's – it's – Yeah, would you, would you like to make a wager on whether he plays in game two? I'll take I'll take no. You're going to take, speaking of playing in game two, Sorokin or Varlamov at this point? Oh, you're going there, are you? I'm going there. <laughs> I might come back with Varlamov. I, I would not. I mean, Sorokin had some weird things going on today with juicy rebounds and losing track of the puck after he saved it. But no, I thought he was good enough to win and that I would not do that. I agree. I, I thought Ilya Sorokin, he gives up four goals, but I don't think he really did anything deserving of losing the net other than two really long rebounds. And, you know, I, I asked Barry Trotz about that after the game, you know, sort of, you know, do you, do you need Sorokin to, to have better rebound control? And, and Barry did not want to address that topic. He didn't. Yeah. That was noticeable. <laughs> that was noticeable that he, he didn't seem to want to get into that. Yeah. You know, Varlamov had really good numbers against the Bruins this season. I, I'm just saying I'm not going to be surprised if it's Varley in game two. I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, uh, it could happen. Uh, to me, that'd be a pretty gutsy move. And, you know, I, I don't I wouldn't do it. But, you know, what the heck? That'd be a good story. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, you could, you could, I could see giving Sorokin game two, and then, you know, if it doesn't work well, then, then Varley could have game three. Um, I think we all agreed uh, some podcasts ago that we would see Varlamov again. I, I, I very much believe that, yes. Um, so I, I was up at TD Garden, which held 17,400 people tonight. As, and that was, Neil, you wrote, that was the largest hockey crowd in many, many days, right? How, how many? Four, oh, 444. I just stole that from NBC. I, that's <laughs> 444, which, by the way, was the exact length of the, uh, the hostages were in Tehran in 1979. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You know, I, I cut school. I, w- I was in eighth grade. I cut school to go watch the parade when the hostages came home. 
I, I wanted to be there for that. So a little bit of history there. Um, <laughs> so I, what I was saying is we have 17,400 at TD Garden. I know what it sounded like in the arena, and it was really, really loud. And towards the end of the third period, the press box was literally shaking, you know, as the clock wound down and the Bruins were going to win. And the Bostonians were having a wicked good time up there. And it was just nuts. How did it come through on TV? Did it seem louder than, you know, the games in Pittsburgh or the games at the Coliseum? I didn't think it seemed as loud as as uh, as Game Six at the Coliseum. Okay, I mean, but you know, the, you know, so the, the acoustics in the Coliseum, as as we've discussed, are really favorable to noise at a hockey game. And the other thing is, I um, I watched Game Six on MSG, and you know, I watched tonight on NBC. So I, I don't know what the you know production you know, differences would be uh, in those two setups. But no, I, I didn't think it was as loud or it didn't come across as loud. I didn't think, Neil, I don't, I don't know what you thought, but I, I didn't think it came across as, as loud as uh, game six. You know, it's hard to tell because like you said, there's so many variables about how they, these the TV channels, you know, the audio works and how they play it up. The, the bottom line is NBC made a big deal as they should about how this was a, basically a full house and, back to normal and showing a lot of crowd shots and you know so now we're now at the point to me where it's we're back to normal in terms of it's just sort of assumed it's a playoff game and it's a full house and people are excited when their team scores so you know we're now back to that almost being a you know I don't want to say a non-story but it is kind of going to become a non-story now that well yeah if, if every if every arena is full for the playoffs yeah you know we're back to normal yeah, I mean, 17,400 will be the norm at, at TD Garden, and 12,000 uh, would seem, well, that, that's what they'll have for Game 3 at, uh, at Nassau Coliseum. And as the three of us have been discussing, you know, there are vaccinated sections and non-vaccinated sections. And, and the Islanders, I, I don't know how many teams are still doing that or are doing that, but... It didn't seem that way at TD Garden. I mean, they 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 packed a house there, um, and there are only going to be five non-vaccinated sections at, at the Coliseum, and and who knows whether that will whittle down further or not. But you know, as the three of us had basically said, that's fine. You know, just bring in vaccinated people. I think all three of us said that at one point or another. Correct. I didn't say that, but I agree with it. Okay. I know. <laughs> the, reason, I was, <laughs> the reason I didn't say it, I, I know I didn't say that, is because I know that somebody on Twitter, like, killed the two of you guys <laughs> for, for saying that and left me out of it. So, obviously, I didn't say anything about that. But I do agree with it. All right. Well, along that that, that train of thought, and and, and – I got an email from a reader, a, a Brendan Scott, who who agreed to allow me to read his email uh, on the podcast. Um, and it, he wasn't killing us, um, but he wanted to get his point across and, and, and the reason why 
he didn't, you know, he, he was very grateful to the Islanders for allowing non-vaccinated, you know, sections still. And he's a guy who's been vaccinated. So I, I just wanted to uh, uh, read this. Uh, Brendan Scott says, uh, and by the way, he enjoys the podcast. So we like Brendan. He says, I've sat in the quote unquote socially distanced section the last two games as a season ticket holder. Why? I'm 52 years old and I live in New Jersey with good health and patiently awaited my turn for the vaccine. I didn't become eligible for the vaccine until April 13th per Governor Murphy's rules and was fortunate to receive my first dose of the Moderna vaccine. Then I had to wait four weeks to get my second shot. And then per Governor Cuomo's rules, we are not considered fully vaccinated until 14 days after that. I've spoken to many other season ticket holders sitting in our section and many similar stories of people who have had one or both shots but are not yet considered fully, fully vaccinated. Anyway, the good news is that I will be considered fully vaccinated this Monday, so I'm in good shape for round two. Several people I spoke with told me the same thing in our section, so I agree with your ass assessment that capacity will go up. And I, uh, uh, Brendan sent this email in before they announced they were going at 12,000 when it was still at 9,000. Brendan continues, the Islanders have done a great job of recognizing our situations and providing solutions. I've spoken to them two times in the last couple of weeks and told them my specific situation, and they accommodated a longtime season ticket holder as well as they could while they were trying to adjust on the fly to increase capacity. Just wanted to share this with you for two reasons. One, Many of us in the socially distanced section aren't anti-vaxxers or the like, but rather people who patiently waited our turn. Two, the Islanders did a great job of treating their season ticket holders great while trying to increase capacity as we all want to make the Coliseum rock. I can't wait to sit in the fully vaccinated section next week, and I know at least eight others who were in similar situations who were also eligible. Finally, to do what Madison Square Garden did and make, the, make it all fully vaccinated would have alienated me and others. What did I do wrong other than patiently wait my turn when I know many other, when I know many younger healthy people who skipped the vax line when they were not eligible? I think it's a very fine balance that people need to be cognizant of when speaking of the issue. Yes. Anyway, so that that was Brendan's point. And uh, I, I was just, you know, it, it, it made me pause and it made me think. Uh, I mean, I, I, I certainly feel for a guy like that who, you know, did everything right, you know, and that, that's how me and my wife were. And I'm sure that's how you guys were. You know, we, we didn't look for loopholes. We got our shot when we became eligible. And this guy, you know, because of, you know, needing two weeks after his second dose, he wasn't fully considered fully vaccinated for the first round. And I, I just wanted to get his point of view out there. And I was wondering if you guys had any, had any reaction to that. Well, my reaction is I'm so unaccustomed to rational, you know, people presenting a cogent argument by email or social media. I need to, some time to digest this. <laughs> I, you know, I would say that my first thought is I'm I'm happy that Brendan's got a 
you know, be able to sit in the fully vaccinated section uh, for games three and four if he can get tickets. I think that's it's good. I mean, he did the right thing. He waited his turn, and and, and now he's fully vaccinated, and, and and I think everybody wins here. Look, the 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 issue becomes, you know, if you, if you talk about what the Knicks did, and and I actually have not really followed what they've been doing, but I guess the what I'm gathering is that like they're only selling tickets to people who are fully vaccinated, I guess, in that way that they can, they can pack the house. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I have to say that I don't have a problem with that because they played an entire season. Well, they started the season with no fans in the arena. I'm guessing that they lost a boatload of money. And so anything that they can recoup, now, I think it's okay for them to go ahead and do that. And I think if they can sell out their building to fully vaccinated people and there's enough people there that they can recoup some money, I, you know, I, I can't, I can't hate on them for that. You know, I mean, like th- these guys have been patient. They've followed every rule. And whenever the, you know, the, you know, the state of New York said that they could, you know, do whatever they, whatever it was the state said that they could do, they did. So I, I, you know, I don't have a problem with, with them opening it up only to fully vaccinated people. So I'm sure I did say at some point that they should die under do what the Knicks did and make it all fully vaccinated. However, a lot of my argument was based on logistical, the, the logistical nightmare of this. And it's actually that, that, that email is interesting because he talks about how the, the Islanders have done a good job of navigating this because that, that was kind of my, my, my take on all this was the unbelievable changing rules and, and, the, and the logistics. And, and so, yeah, the fact that they found a way to maintain a, a non-vaccinated section while, while growing the vaccinated section, you know, is kind of the best of both worlds. Again, I don't know how the heck they're doing this um, on the fly, but if they can do it, I, I have no problem with a small non-vaccinated section just for people with special circumstances like these. But I'm glad that the vaccinated section keeps growing, though, because the original setup was very strange with the half and half thing. Now, if you now if you're telling me, oh, there's going to be a few little isolated sections, okay, fine. You know. Yeah, no, and, and that's what it's going to be. I, I think it's five sections. They've whittled it down to five non-vaccinated sections for game three. So um, it, it will seem much more like a filled-in complete coliseum. That's game three. We still have to uh, get through game two and, uh, you know, see if the Islanders can make some of the improvements, Neil and Colin and I talked about on this podcast, but that – I got a Collins question right here. Oh, Collins question. Okay. So you mentioned that earlier in, in, in the pod here that Beauvillier scored on the power play and uh, Noah Dobson took the shot. And then he didn't play again for the rest of the first period, like 13 minutes. What's up with that? Um, and, and, and Noah started playing again in the second period and he, he was back in the regular rotation. I think that was some sort of defensive hiccup that Barry wanted addressed um, because he sort of broke up his defense pairs uh, and, and just went down to five for the, you know, the, the final 1148 of the first period. And, the, and then Noah was back in for the second period. And, you know, that 
it's kind of a microcosm of how the islanders have treated noah's development they give him stuff and then they pull him back a little bit and they give him some more stuff and then they pull him back and i'm pretty sure they wanted to go over some stuff with him before getting him back on the ice did he i mean he must have made some kind of mistake it was before the power play whatever right right but whatever barry saw came before the power play okay all right, because clearly he didn't get a ship after the power play, and yeah, not anything wrong on the power play because all he did was provide. Yeah, no, and and Barry was not going to mess up his his power play units at that point. You know, Noah is quarterbacking that first unit. There, there's no sense in in not sending him out there. I got another question for you. Okay. So on that third power play, the one that was awful. Our turning point. Yeah. Um, he started with the second power play unit rather than the first power play unit. Barry right? does that a lot. No, and, and and I'm I'm cool with that. That's fine. Whatever. But then he has a face-off about not quite halfway through the power play, but maybe 40, 49 seconds in, and he chooses not to change up the units and he sends the first or that second unit keeps that second unit on and then by the time he gets the first power play back on it's about 38 seconds left in the power play and they literally it was like they literally didn't do anything in those final 38 seconds so i'm saying you know they I mean, should. The didn't do anything but the first power play unit only got the last 38 seconds and it was just a scramble and you know you know. you know, there have been some power plays over the, the course of the season where Barry starts with the second unit and, and just literally never gets to the other unit. Uh, yeah, the 49 seconds and then put the first guys on. I mean, I don't, they're the first power play unit for a reason, right? Barzal's on that unit, right? Come on. If I mean, we call them the first unit and the second unit because sports yeah. writers need to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I don't think Barry necessarily, you know, whether you want to call it A, B, one, two, whatever, there are two different units. I, I don't think Barry necessarily sees one or the other as his top unit. I think we call it that because we equate Matthew Barzell with the top line. And as we've discussed, maybe Brock Nelson's line should be considered the top line at this point. So. I don't know, but I, I get your point. Why not change there? He probably yeah. didn't think they were too winded, and he probably liked what he saw, and he wanted to keep their momentum going. It didn't work out, but I, I, I'm thinking that's probably what he was thinking. I mean, it's a nitpick. No, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not. Yeah, I know Barry Trotz only has the patience to listen to 25 minutes of a, of our podcast, so he probably didn't get to this. So. <laughs> Anyway, that's my way of saying we're going to wrap this up now. That's my friend Colin Stevenson. You can find him on Twitter at Colin S. Newsday. And that is my other friend, Neil Best. You can find him at Sportswatch. And you can find everything we all do on Newsday.com backslash aisles. And until we convene again for the next episode, which will be after game two, happy hockey, everybody.